0: Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. Today on Obsessed with Design, I interview the one and only Debbie Millman, writer, educator, artist, brand consultant, and the host of one of Apple's top podcasts, the show Design Matters. Debbie and I get a chance to talk through some really deep and interesting topics, including how she makes time for all of the things that she's involved with on a day to day basis. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at ObsessedShow.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Obsessed Show, and I'm at Josh Miles. And while you're at it, head on over to iTunes and subscribe to Obsessed Show. We'd love to have a rating from you and help other people find the show. So without further ado, here's Debbie Millman. Hello, friends. Today, I am beyond honored to have Debbie Millman as our guest. Debbie, welcome to Obsessed with Design. It's great to have you here.
1: Thank you, Josh. It's great to be here.
0: Debbie, as you may recall, um, I don't think I've ever told you the second half of this story, but um, I think we formally met in the... uh, Miami Airport after a leadership conference in 2007 for AIGA.
1: That is right.
0: And uh, I was um, I was in the Starbucks line. It was really early in the morning, I think. And um, I I recognized you from seeing you around the conference. I don't think we really had a chance to officially meet then. But um, I I kind of reached ahead of the line and tapped you on the shoulder and introduced myself and said, "Hey, we'd love to have you." come to the Indianapolis chapter and we're always looking for great speakers. And it'd be so awesome to have somebody of your caliber there. And you of course lit up and you were incredibly friendly and yeah, great. I can't wait to come. And here's my info and here's how we'll get this figured out. And uh, I think we sort of each paid for our coffees and went our separate ways to our flights and uh I since I was a couple of people behind you, it took me a second to get paid and everything. And and the guy behind me after you left said, dude, you are the best pickup artist I have ever seen. How did you do that? <laughs> oh my god, that's <laughs> so great. That's I was like, so No, no, bad. look, I'm married. He's like, No, man, I get it. I get it. It's cool. It's <laughs> like, no, it's not. Oh, never mind. You wouldn't understand. It's an adjective oh, That I think.
1: is Beautiful. Well, he <laughs> thought I was worthy of being picked up, so that's a compliment. And thank you.
0: <laughs> well, I would tell you that I, I maybe did you a favor because he was he was definitely into you, but I'm not sure he's the kind of guy that I would have wanted to introduce to Debbie Millman. <laughs> well,
1: thank you, thank you for your consideration. <laughs> so,
0: fast forwarding a little bit from 2007, I think it was 2008 when you were um, you came to Indianapolis and you said, you know what, I've got one. Um, one thing, just one request we need to finish on time because I need to interview Stefan Bucher and I want to talk to him about his, my daily monster thing for, for my podcast. So we got a, got a room at the, uh, in, in one of the office rooms of the hotel right. and got you a phone line and all of that. So I got to watch that live and then fast forward a little bit further. And today you were record or this, uh, this year you were recognized as one of iTunes top podcasts for 2015, which is just an awesome honor. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. It, it It's a miracle. I'm still waiting to wake up from my dream and find out <laughs> that that never happened. <laughs> but it's surreal, Josh. It really is surreal. I've been doing the show for 10 and a half years. Um, it's a complete labor of love. And I honestly can't believe that this has happened.
0: That's really incredible. Did you, you know, I know when you started it, at least the, the version that I saw, you're like on a phone call and it was kind I of know. a live radio and it was recording. <laughs> and how did how did you get into that in the first place? Because, you know, 10 years ago, there were there were so few people that even knew what podcast meant, let alone people who were doing it at your level.
1: Well, I was cold called by an internet radio network. And I started to do the show. When they first asked me if I'd be interested in doing the show, I was enormously flattered, thinking that they were offering me some type of gig, paying gig. And (laughs) I I very shortly came to find out that I had to pay them for the airtime and the production time. And at that point, I was really looking for something new to do, not necessarily professionally, but just from a... Um, creative point of view. I had been working in branding at that point for 10 years and felt that my entire professional life had become very commercial. And this seemed like a really interesting way to ultimately get access to my heroes to be able to, if they were willing to be interviewed for a show like this, to be able to talk to them and have an opportunity to understand them. Mm -hmm. This was really before my first book, which was how to think like a great graphic designer, which was all interviews. And though it cost some money, I had saved some money. I thought it would be an investment in myself. It would be completely self-generated. I could do whatever I wanted. And so I took the leap and I, and I started doing it. And there were no podcasts at the time, podcasts, really started in earnest a few months later. And as soon as I heard about podcasts as an entity, I thought, oh, well, Design Matters could kind of be a podcast. I could upload them to iTunes and get more access to potential listeners. And so that's ultimately what I did. Armin Vit, who is my dear, dear friend at Under Consideration, he was then the Um, editor-in-chief and founder of Speak Up Mm -hmm. and is now the founder and editor-in-chief of Brand New. I think he helped me upload my first podcast to (laughs) iTunes and then it took off. I mean, it's been a slow trajectory, but it's at least been a constant one, which has been amazing.
0: I feel like I can hear him delivering some level of snark after the first episode was up there.
1: You know, Armin is very funny. Armin, and I think he even coined this about himself. He's, I think he said something about very timid in person, but a shark behind the keyboard. Armin is one (laughs) one of my closest friends. I'm the godmother to his oldest daughter. Um, You know, he was, we first, first, first came into each other's worlds when He and Felix Sockwell and Tanley wrote about me on Speak Up in a a somewhat disparaging way. We've all since forgiven each other for the trespass. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he is one of the kindest, most generous, most loving people on the planet. So I actually can only read snark in his voice. I can't hear snark in his voice because he's (laughs) never snarky. That's at awesome. least phase to face.
0: Well, we're big fans of Armin's as well and, and his conferences and and of course the great blog.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So outside of, you know, we've spent a lot of time so far just talking about the podcast and design matters, but outside of that, it turns out you are a woman of very many projects and initiatives. So um how do you how do you even describe yourself today with, with so many things going on?
1: Um, I used to describe myself as, um, with this line, and this was my Twitter sort of handle line and Instagram, and I've since changed it. I've been persuaded to change it, but it used to just say Debbie Millman is a girl. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I'm a girl anymore. I think I'm an old lady, so it was a little bit misleading. Um, But how do I describe myself? On my website, which Armin created, it says Debbie Millman. I think is something like a designer and a writer and an educator and host of the podcast Design Matters. And that's pretty much what I am. I, I do a, and a brand consultant, of course. I do a lot of work in branding. I am the CMO of a extraordinary agency. I've been really honored to be part of for over twenty years now. A company called Sterling Brands which I helped grow and then sold to Omnicom in 2008 and have still been a a big part of. And I am currently chairing the Masters in Branding program at the School of Visual Arts, which I co-founded with my mentor and fairy godfather, Steve Heller. And I am a writer. I've written six books, actually five books and edited one. And I'm working on another book now, which will be out in the spring it is a book called "Why You," and it is a book about understanding rejection and how to create a life doing what you love despite the rejection.
0: Mm, that's awesome. Is that and, um, directed towards the the creative world, or is that kind of open to you know people? I think in it's
1: general? open to interpretation, and I think that it has the centerpiece is probably a more creative audience. But I think anybody that's experienced rejection or humiliation or <laughs> the inherent shame that comes with being rejected for, for something that you really want to do would, will relate. Um, and then I also do the podcast. And I do quite a lot of illustration work. And I think that's it.
0: <laughs> today. Maybe, maybe one more thing tomorrow. Maybe, maybe.
1: Oh, I know, I know. I knew I was forgetting something important. I've recently become the editor, um, editorial director and creative director of print magazine, which is a dream come true, an utter dream come true.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It's just not a tiny thing at that either.
1: It's not a tiny thing, but it's a really wonderful, serendipitous, symmetrical story about my life. In 1983, I graduated college and very much had my sights set on working in the magazine industry. And I interviewed at Condé Nast and got a call back, but ultimately was rejected there. Um, Tried to get into the Columbia School of Journalism, was rejected there. Um, Ultimately, got a job working at a rock and roll uh, publication company. And uh, one of their magazines was a magazine called Rockbill, which was a rock magazine that was essentially given out at rock venues in the same way that Playbill is given out at theatrical venues. And my very dear college friend was the editor-in-chief and I was the managing editor and I loved it. I loved working for him. He had some philosophical issues with the then publisher, and ultimately, after several years of doing the magazine really successfully and growing the readership and so forth, decided to leave. And I was the first person that he offered his job to, um, which was really quite an honor to be editor-in-chief of a rock magazine before I hit 30. Um, But because he was resigning for philosophical reasons, I felt that I would be a bad friend if I agreed to take the job, then how impactful would his Mm -hmm. resignation ultimately be? And so I felt really, really loyal to him and didn't take the job, at which point he then offered it to the guy that was below me, the next guy in line and he took the job.
0: <laughs> <And then laughs> Where's I your solidarity, said, wait a minute, man? Wait
1: a, minute, wait a minute. How did that happen? I was leapfrogged and I, you know, <laughs> I didn't get the job and, uh, you know, and I was really heartbroken, <laughs> but I still felt like I'd made the right moral decision. But, and in fact, I actually still feel I made the right decision in the grand scheme of life because of how difficult it's been to make a career in the magazine business. But at the time I was really <laughs> really <laughs> just shell-shocked <laughs> by the whole thing. And so now 25 or more years later, to have an opportunity to be an editorial and creative director at a magazine that I've also spent many, many years writing for, 10 years, um, is a wonderful sort of coming home story.
0: Well, how did that role in the magazine parlay into a more design or branding-focused career? Or, or where does you know, art and design kind of weave in and out of that story?
1: That's a great question. After Rockbill, I started a company with the creative director of Rockbill, a really, really talented, super successful man named Cliff Sloan. Um, And we had that business together for five years. And so we did kind of everything. We did editorial design, we did promotional design, we did a little bit of advertising. Um, Ultimately, I left the business in, what year was it? 1991 or 1992. He continued on and ultimately sold the business and now has started another business. He's a really successful serial entrepreneur. Um, And I then went more specifically into branding at that point.
0: Very cool. You know, kind of the, the premise of our show is unpacking and discovering what different obsessions designers of different walks have, whether they be architects or branding, graphic design, illustrators. What do you find that you are most obsessed with today?
1: Wow. Okay. How long do you have?
0: (laughs) For you, I have as long as you want.
1: (laughs) What am I obsessed by? Josh, I'm obsessed by living. I'm obsessed by living. I never want to die. I want to live forever. I mean, I've had a really rough year. This has been one of the roughest years I've had since being a kid. Um, My dad died, went through a a very um, surprise breakup, (laughs) so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, I moved twice, having not moved previous to this year for over 20 years. Um, My job changed at Sterling, which is something that I'm really enjoying, but it was also a change and I'm a very fixed personality and like everything to be exactly the same every single day. So you can only imagine four big changes like this coming um, really rocked my world, rocked my stability. It rocked my sense of self. And at the end of the day, even with all the grieving that I've been doing and the moments where I really felt lost, really felt... Very much alone, I still never wanted life to end mm-hmm. and and never do. I mean, I have so many things that I want to do um because of these four major changes I've been forced to see life in a new way, which at first was terrifying and now is somewhat exhilarating, and I've also had to really understand what my role in these changes has been in a much more fundamental, real way. You know, things don't just happen to you. I mean, sometimes they do, but with this many changes all at once, I think the universe, without without giving up any control in it, I think I think the universe was sending me a really, really loud message about Chapter three. I'm 54. I had the first chapter, which was up until I got my job at Sterling, which was what I would consider to be experiments in rejection and failure. <laughs> and then my, my 20 plus years at Sterling, which was about creating the foundation of my life and developing a certain level of financial independence and security And now I have to literally and figuratively put my money where my mouth is and do all the things that I've said that I've always wanted to do if I could ever feel secure, which was to make as much art as possible. Um, the interesting thing is if you don't feel secure to begin with, no matter what you do, no matter how much you get, have, earn, etc, you will not feel secure. that fundamentally comes from an internal perspective and an internal place. So I've been dealing with confronting that as well, which is sometimes hard and sometimes, as I said, really life-affirming because you suddenly realize what you're made of and the lies you tell yourself and the different, Um, modes of operating that you use to keep the constructs you tell yourself in place. So that that's been an interesting journey to say the least. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Wow. Um, So maybe you're too much in the throes of things right now to even know the answer to this, but when you find yourself in, in one of these moments and you know, it's a rough spot or something that's unexpected or a big change in life, How do you refocus and how do you kind of recalibrate on what's
1: next? Another really good question. One thing I've learned is that human beings metabolize their feelings really quickly. Hmm. Some quicker than others. Grief, not so quick. Satiation, very quick. (laughs) Even in the throes of feeling like... Whatever grief I was experiencing would never ever stop, and there were days where I really felt like they would never ever it would never ever stop. It does, and there's a, a beauty and a pathos in that, of course. Um, human beings metabolize their their feelings quickly. We are calibration machines. We're hungry we eat, we feel like we may never be able to eat again after Thanksgiving. And then four hours later, we're poking through the refrigerator. (laughs) We're cold. We want to put on a sweater. We're hot. We take the sweater off. And the same with big, giant, fat feelings. You know, you feel what you feel. And then as you become accustomed to the feeling, you either want more or let, let it go. And so going through that experience or this experience because i'm still going through it and and seeing how changes occur almost naturally is an extraordinary thing to behold and oh. some days there the feelings feel far away and some days they feel really close and some days brand new feelings emerge and it becomes a real process and I think that the arc of an experience is a circuitous one and feelings are just that, they're feelings.
0: Do you feel like your um, your art or your creations help you in that that healing process or help you to metabolize, to use your great phrase, those emotions faster?
1: <laughs> if I like what I'm working on. If I don't, <laughs> they tend to make it worse. Like I'm a complete and utter loser. Everything I do is wrong. Everything I do is awful. So yeah, it, it depends on on how I'm feeling about what it is I'm making. <laughs> but then again, even when I do something that I think might be good in that moment, I'll come back to it and think, what was I thinking?
0: <laughs> is there anything uh, right now or recently that has really had your had your heart and really had your attention that you've just you know, been able to, to fall in love with the work that you're doing?
1: Working on Print Magazine has been able to do that for me because I'm not only doing it by myself. I'm doing it with Zachary Pettit, who's the editor-in-chief, and Adam Ladd, who's the creative director. They're both just divine human beings, and I've loved the collaboration. There's a real honesty that we've developed with each other about when we think something is good and when we don't. So I really trust them, and that's been just a gift. I'm also – it hasn't been announced yet, and I think it'll probably be announced by the time the podcast comes out, but I've been selected – to do the design of this year's or 2016's National Poetry Month. Uh, Chip Kidd recommended me. He's another gift in my life. My God, what a good friend he is to me. And um, so I'm working on the poster for National Poetry Month 2016. That has been a dream of mine for as far back as I can remember. Two of my great loves in one place, design and poetry. And so,
0: That's really awesome. Congratulations. That's what I'm
1: doing. I've created a Floridium. And so it's one line of about 20 different poems. And I've created a new poem with those lines. And it's lines from poets like Mary Oliver and T.S. Eliot and J.D. McClatchy and um, Charles Olson and Adrian Rich. And I'm just having the time of my life.
0: That's really cool. I, I think it's, it's cool to see someone who's, you know, right in the throes of their career and able to tackle some of the dream projects that they've had on their sites for a long time. And yes, yes. What do, what's still out there for you? What are other dream projects that you're still hungry to go after at some point?
1: Um, I'd like to do another book of illustrated essays. I know that that's in me. Actually, it's no, let me correct that. It's not going to be a book of illustrated essays. I want to do a a full book of illustrated poetry. Um, So that'll be something that I'd like to start working on in the future. Um, Talking with Aaron Resney about a book. He's a great photographer. Um, He and I want to collaborate on something. I'm talking with Alina Wheeler about collaborating on something. Mm, Um, I'm talking with... uh, Wendy McNaughton about collaborating on something, the great, great illustrator, writer, polymath. (laughs) She does everything. (laughs) So, And then I want to continue to do a lot more design matters. I have a big year in 2016. I have an extraordinary number of people that I've reached out to. I've tried to reach out to more of my heroes, people that I don't know as well, gotten some no's, gotten some yes's, um, Alison Bechdel has agreed to be on the show. She's the writer of Dykes to Watch Out For and the Tony Award-winning play, Fun Home. She's agreed to be on the show. That's going to be a dream come true. Raj Chast has agreed to be on the show. Uh, Mike Mills, the film director, said yes. So I'm, I'm very excited about who I'm going to interview next year.
0: Very cool. Well, if there is possibly anyone listening to this show who's not already subscribing to Design Matters, you're making a giant mistake. So please, <laughs>
1: please
0: subscribe to Design Matters.
1: Or if you want to be on it, gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned a little bit about some of the books that you'd like to do. And of course I love, love all of your books as well, which are, you know, so many of them are kind of a long form extension of what you've done with Design Matters, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it, was it the book that the book ideas that drove you to the interviews or was it the, the interviews that got you thinking maybe I should write a book or maybe you've been writing all along. I don't know, but tell us about, about well, your writing There's a couple
1: career. of interesting intersections. Um, the first is um, I started Design Matters and I started doing the interviews. Um, in 2005, I took a class with Milton Glazer, a summer intensive at the School of Visual Arts, which fundamentally changed my life. The class, um, he's he's talked about this class as one of the most important things that he does. It profoundly influenced me and changed my life. Um, in that class, we had to really take a stand for what we wanted our lives to mean. And in that class, I, I realized that even though I was, had just begun to do design matters and it was enormously creatively fulfilling, there were so many other things that I wanted to do and wasn't doing. And so I started thinking about how to go about doing those things and realized that um, it wasn't like I was getting a ton of opportunities to just come to me with the words, here, would you like to do this? And realized that I had to, I had to go out and actively make these things happen. And so I met with Steve Heller, and I put myself out there in a way, and I, I asked people if I could do this or do that and started to make things happen, not to wait for things to happen. And at the time, I had two book ideas that I uh, ran by Steve. He didn't think they were particularly good, but told me to keep working on it. He then recommended me to his publisher when they offered him the book, How to Think Like a Great Graphic Designer, um, which he passed on. Mm -hmm. And when I was offered that book, It wasn't an interview-style book, but I was able to persuade them because fundamentally I felt like a book showcasing how great graphic designers think, which felt like it would be more like a menu, wasn't something that would be compelling because there is no one way that any Mm. great person thinks. So I sort of turned it on its head. I wanted it to be more of an ironic title, which... I think people still have a problem with. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to show that there is no one way that great graphic designers think. And interview 20 great graphic designers and showcase the myriad ways in which they think. Um, so that became my first book. But in the meantime, I had written to How Magazine to Megan Patrick, who was the then acquisitions editor. She worked at both the magazine and was the acquisitions editor at F&W, which owned print or owns print. And I created a sample visual essay and sent it off to her. Didn't hear back anything for six weeks. Decided that because I didn't hear no, maybe there was still an opportunity and wrote her again and asked her if she'd ever gotten this email that I'd sent. She immediately responded and said she hadn't. Didn't surprise me. It was a gigantic file and I'm also a bit of a Luddite. And so <laughs> I resent it. She confirmed that she got it. Thought it might be a stretch for the editorial board at FNW. It wasn't really in the sort of centerpiece of what they do, but that she would try to um, see what she could do. A couple of weeks later, she wrote me back. She said the editorial board approved it. I wrote her back and said that's a miracle. She wrote back and said, "Yes, Debbie, indeed it is." And so <laughs> that became look both ways. And then after Look Both Ways, when I started Look Both Ways, the only uh, visual essay I had done in 10 years was the sample essay. And so over the course of doing Look Both Ways, my chops improved. I had been working new muscles that I hadn't used in a decade. Uh, By the time I finished the book, my muscles were a little bit more well-developed. And as a result, kept going back to the beginning of the book and redoing the essays. Finally, mm-hmm. at a point, my my editor and the publisher cut me off. They're like, okay, that's it. The book is going to <laughs> press. I didn't want to give up the chop, so I continued to do a monthly visual essay for print.com. And then uh, Gary uh, Lynch, the publisher, asked if I'd be interested. Actually, it was Michael Silverberg, the then editor, asked if I'd be interested in doing another book of essays. And then. Gary Lynch, the publisher, decided he wanted to make it into a coffee table book. And that's how Self-Portrait as Your Trader came about. And and Josh, it's interesting because all of these things, one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And creativity is a journey. And every step on that journey contributes to the step both before and after it. And, And I very much feel that that's been one of the themes of my life.
0: You have so many amazing things I'm sure to be proud of, but is there any, so as a designer specifically, is there any one thing that really stands out to you as, as a proud moment?
1: There's a couple, the first being the work that I've done for nomore.org with Christine Mao and the Joyful Heart Foundation, uh, the CEO of which is uh, an extraordinary woman named Miley Ruzambudo and Mariska Hargitay, who is the star of Law & Order SVU and the founder of the Joyful Heart Foundation. And this work started about five years ago. A group of very powerful women came together and they wanted to create a movement to help eradicate domestic violence, uh, sexual assault, and child abuse. And I was invited into this group to help create the Brand to help create the mark for No More, and so a group of people at Sterling and Christine Mao and I created the Vanishing Point, which is the blue circular device that lots and lots of people mm-hmm. wear now to signify their support of this organization. People have probably seen a lot of the PSAs uh, that Mariska has um, directed and Rachel Howell has created um, during football games. And, um, doing this work has really helped make my life make sense in a way that probably nothing else has aside from design matters. So those are the two things I think winning the Cooper Hewitt National Design Award in 2011 for design matters and doing this work with No More and now working much more closely with the Joyful Heart Foundation as well to really make a difference in eradicating these heinous crimes from society and culture are probably the two most important things that I that I do.
0: That's great. We're big uh, big supporters of of No More as well, so it's uh it's just really awesome work.
1: Thank you. And then teaching, of course, you know, that's Certainly teaching is one of my great loves, teaching undergrads and grads at the School of Visual Art.
0: So maybe this is the question that's in a lot of listeners' minds right now, which is, I think you just described like six or seven different professions at least, and, uh, and you do all of these things. So how do, you, how do you make that work? How do you find the time in the day, and how do you, how do, you do so much?
1: Well... Um, One thing I do want to say is that you don't find time. You make time. And if you want to do something, you do it. I often say that busy is a decision and you decide how busy you want to be or not. You make time to do the things that you want to do. If you don't, Make the time, my guess is that they're really not a priority. And it's just something that you tell yourself you'd like to do. But if you're not doing it, then how much could you really possibly want to do it? Now, there's a big caveat here, and that is I do not have children. I do not have a a husband or a wife. And so I have a lot more time than most people that have those commitments and those, those, those areas of their life where they're, they're putting a significant amount of time and commitment. So my life is a little bit more elastic than most. And, but that being said, I'm extremely good at time management. And I also am not afraid to ask for help and engage other people in the process of collaborating and contributing. And I'm also a huge sleeper. I like to sleep between seven and eight hours every single night. Mm-hmm. And that provides, I think, a clarity and an energy that you can't get if you aren't putting in the horizontal sleep time. I like <laughs> I like a lot of REM sleep. I'm there with you. Yeah. Uh, I'm a sleepaholic. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It doesn't always work out, but I try to get even a little bit more in on Saturday morning.
1: But. Oh, yeah. I could sleep for 10 hours at a time, Josh. Easy. <laughs> Easy. I remember one one holiday I was in Israel and I slept 12 hours a day for a week. Wow. And it was blissful. I went to bed at midnight and got up at noon. It was amazing.
0: I feel like the jet lag helps with the yes, encouraging yes, the that's sleeping. That's true. That's true. That's true. So if you hadn't made your way into that you know, rock and roll magazine job before, (laughs) where do you think you would be today? So if you weren't, you know, if you hadn't followed this editorial and design kind of path, what, where do you think your life would have gone?
1: I don't know. You know, that was the second choice. My first choice was to just be a fully creative individual, but I didn't think I was talented enough, smart enough, capable enough. I had no money. Um, At the time I was living in a fourth floor tenement walk up in Chelsea. I had to walk through another couple's room to get to mine. Uh, which made for some really awkward moments. (laughs) Um, I had to decide what I was going to pay that month, my rent, my student loan, or eat. And so I I did what I could to be self-sufficient, but also be creative. And that was decide to work in the world of design and at the time magazine design. So if I had the courage, I don't know, maybe I'd be a full-time fine artist or a full-time writer or working in musical theater. Who knows? There were so many different things that I wanted to do as I was growing up that were dreams that I'm, I mean, aside from musical theater, I'm, I'm doing almost everything that I wanted to do now. But it's taken time to, to get back to a place of feeling courageous enough to try something.
0: Wait a minute. Do you also sing and dance? badly. (laughs) All right.
1: All right. Badly. But yes, I do as (laughs) often as possible.
0: (laughs) So 10 years ago, I'm sure you wouldn't have looked forward and thought you would have checked all these boxes and uh, gone this far with the podcast and, you know, so many awesome things, but like looking out 10 years, what do you think? What do you think 10 years from today holds for you?
1: I'd like to think I'm healthy. I'd like to think that I am able to freely give and receive love. I'd like my 15 and 14-year-old dogs to still be alive and healthy. I'd like to be making work that moves people and continues to help me make sense of the world I'm living in and the world we all share.
0: Well, judging just by Facebook, your dogs are the cutest.
1: I know. They are. Thank you. I should just say thank you. But yes, they're perfect. (laughs) (laughs) They're the great loves of my life. Absolutely.
0: So I feel like you've given us a lot of great advice already, but um, I'm curious what the most common piece of advice you give to your design students is.
1: Try not to settle until you're much older in life. I have so many students that start to edit before they have to they decide what's possible before they even try what's possible. And they don't feel smart enough and they don't feel good enough and they don't feel wealthy enough and they don't feel thin enough. And my advice is to do it anyway, do it as if it doesn't matter that those things don't matter because they don't. If you read how to think like a great graphic designer, you will realize that Every single person I interview in that book except Massimo Vignelli and Milton Glaser wake up and wonder, can I do it again? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I capable enough? And if some of the greatest creative thinkers of our time wake up and think that, then why shouldn't anybody? And I contend that the reason why Milton and Massimo didn't feel that way or don't feel that way is because at the time they said these things, they were in their 80s. You know, by then it's like, okay, I'm 80. Give me a break. I'm doing what I do. Stand out of the way.
0: I loved your um, your old interview with Massimo, and you know, I've seen him on so many other interviews and clips and stuff. And I I think part of it is maybe that he just had such a simple mission in life that you know a designs vulgarity. this big thing, but this anti-vulgarity thing was just, yeah, just awesome. in the way that he explained yeah. that it was just
1: I miss so him. elegant. Yeah, I do miss him. He was. Such an important person in my life. I miss him. I miss Mil- I miss Hillman Curtis. Um Bill Moggridge, Bill Druntell. It's just ah, the world loses all of these extraordinary people. We have to make sense of that somehow.
0: Yeah, it's it's craziness. But uh all right, they, I have they, they certainly left a, <laughs> left a great mark on the world.
1: Yes, they did. On all of us.
0: Well, hey, maybe on a um incredibly bright note. Um it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. So maybe tell us a little bit about where our fans can track you down and and where we can track down your books and everything else.
1: Sure. Well, everything is aggregated on this wonderful, beautiful website that Arminvit created for me, which is at DebbieMillman.com. And pretty much that can be a portal to anything. It can be a portal to my work at Sterling Brands, SVA, to Design Matters. You can go to iTunes, which has all of my podcasts there, both the archive as well as all my current shows and uh, printmag.com. Any of those places. Design Observer, which also has all of my podcasts and a lot of exclusive imagery. So that's a great place to go to.
0: Excellent. Well, we'll be sure to link to all of those things in the show notes. And uh, thank you so much for not only being a guest but for being obsessed with life and thank you for being obsessed with design.
1: Thank you, Josh. Thank you for inviting me to be on your wonderful new show. I really, really appreciate it. Oh my Thanks goodness, you're the best. on the shoulder back in 2007.
0: <laughs> that guy's still trying to figure that out.
1: <laughs> I hope he's listening.
0: <laughs> All right, we'll have a good one. You too. Thanks. That's a wrap guys. Our first show is in the books. Thanks so much for joining us today for our conversation with Debbie Millman and head on over to obsessedshow.com to get all of the links and notes and things that we talked about today. We'll have all of that in the show notes. Also, don't forget to visit iTunes and subscribe to the Obsessed Show and follow us on Twitter at Obsessed Show and I'm at Josh Miles. Obsessed Show is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency located 13 floors above Monument Circle in the heart of downtown Indianapolis. Check us out online at milesherndon.com. And thank you so much to our friend Cassie Jo for providing her song, Matchbox Girl, that you're hearing right now and at the intro of our podcast. We're gonna be giving away a few of Cassie's CDs, so be sure and tweet at us this week at ObsessedShow.com and say you want to be entered to win one of Cassie's EPs. Want to hear more interviews like this one? Tweet at Josh Miles and tell me who you think I should interview next. Catch you next week.